Father, we thank you for the privilege and the honor and the blessing of this Bible Time podcast and the ability to even study the Bible together. We thank you for your book of Thessalonians. We thank you for your word, and we pray that you would allow it to have free course, that you would accomplish that which you have purposed for it to accomplish, that you would change us more and more into the image of Christ. Help us to be obedient to your word in Jesus' name, for Christ's sake. Amen. Welcome back to Bible time. First Thessalonians 4.11. Now this verse is in direct association with the previous verse um, being separated from the previous verse only by a semicolon. It says here, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. This is a good verse, a powerful verse, a needed verse. It's doctrine. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for exhortation in righteousness, that the man of God might be may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Praise God for His Bible and praise God for this work. This verse right here um, could bring a total revolution um, to American economics if we could just get this verse. But that's not the purpose of the verse. And the, usually this this per- verse gets referenced with an economic hope or an economic mindset. If those lazy no good leeches of society would just get themselves together and put their pants on and throw their pajamas out. And, and I agree with all these things to a, to a large degree. Okay. And I agree with these things. If they just throw out their pajamas and get to work and get off their government paycheck and do something with their own hands, this country would turn around overnight. Yeah, that's true economically, but we've got a bigger problem in this country than economics. The bigger problem is the problem of sin. And I want to look at this verse in its context today. We, we The name of this podcast is Bible Time. And our purpose and our goal is to rightly divide the word of truth and let the Bible say what the Bible says the way the Bible says it and let the Bible define the terms the Bible uses the Bible's way so that at the end of these podcasts, at the end of every individual podcast, at the end of every chapter, at the end of every book, at the end of life for this preacher and the end of this podcast, that those who listen to it will be more acquainted with what the Bible actually says and better equipped to rightly divide the word of truth than they were before. That's our goal. I don't want to make followers of me. I want people to follow Christ and the goal and the hope of this podcast is that you'll be able to follow Christ. So here we have this verse and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And we find that it is directly linked by the punctuation to verse 10. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren, which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you brethren that ye increase more and more. And that's linked in its context and through that word and to verse 9 that says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And that's linked by that little word, but to all those previous um, reproofs and exhortations given in the preceding verses. So we find that this verse 11, that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, is given by God in direct context as a practical 
preventative measure for things like fornication, um, un, un, inability to possess your vessel, lust of concupiscence. How many of you have ever heard that idle hands are the devil's workshop? And so it is, and so it is true here today. So there's multiple applications and reasons for this verse given in its context, and part of it is that he's telling the people of God, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He says, I'm, I've already talked to you about brotherly, brotherly love. We've talked about that. We talked about infinite love yesterday. And so here in verse 11, we find that this is a practical means to put yourself in a good position to be able to fulfill the commandments that have been given previously. That the purpose of this command is not for your economic well-being. The purpose of this command is not that you might have a better 401k. The purpose of this command is not so that you can buy that new truck. The purpose of this command is to help you to abstain from fornication, to stay out of trouble, to stay out of your neighbor's bedroom where you don't belong, to stay out of places that you shouldn't be, and to put you in a position to minister to your brethren instead of being a burden to them. Now, we talked yesterday about that infinite love, and it wasn't actually yesterday, but the last podcast um, that we put up, that infinite love that you should love the household of faith with a greater love than your physical household that your physical household once they become saved once they trust Jesus Christ and are born again are then part of the household of faith and that all true love the truest form of love is not this temporal human love that results in temporal human relationships that will be dissolved in the heavenlies where they will neither be married nor given in marriage where even the wonderful relationship of marriage between one man and one woman till death do his part will be dissolved in the glory and the brightness of Jesus Christ in that heavenly place that um, all of the love that we have for one another is then able to be poured out as channels on other people, that we are the pipes through which the golden oil flows, that we are not actually the source of love, but rather the conduit of love And then once we get this figured out, then our love for our family, once our family is now in its proper place and no longer set up as an idol, no longer held up on a pedestal, as now our family is able to be loved with Christ's love. And the other brothers and sisters in Christ are loved with Christ's love. That does not remove human jurisdiction, human responsibility, human roles of marriage, husband, wife, father, son, brother, sister. It does not remove those. But as Jesus said, who are, who is my mother? Who is my brother? He said, these that do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same as my mother, my sister, my brother. And so here we find that though these lines, these rules, these responsibilities, these jurisdictions are not absolved by brotherly love, but they are actually enhanced by brotherly love. So that whenever I love my brother as myself and esteem him highly in love, for Christ's sake, that I will not sin against my brother. I will not sin against my wife. It's such a it's such a liberating, glorious topic. We could get lost on it, spend the rest of our time on it, but we can't. But the just think of the reality of the fact. Think of the glory of loving your wife as a sister in Christ first. 
You will not defraud her. You will not defile her. You will not fornicate because she's your sister in Christ and you have a vow to be faithful to her. And instead of it being a physical set of barriers and restrictions, now it's the glorious liberty of the children of God. And whenever that love a man and a wife have for each other naturally and physically is overpassed and and, um, surpassed by your love for Christ and his bride brethren, and then you see your wife and your children, especially those that are saved as the brethren and sisters in Christ, it allows you, it enables you to keep Christ's commandments and to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. But again, that does not remove the practical responsibilities that go with marriage, such as providing for your family. And here in verse 11, he says, and that ye study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So these practical realities of life are brought back into the discussion just as fast as we reached up into the heavenlies with infinite love as he said that ye are taught of God to love one another and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you brethren that ye increase more and more. He didn't say increase in finances, increase in your bank account. He said increase in love more and more denote infinite love that he's calling us to and then he immediately brings us back to earth back to stark gray reality with this injunction that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you if anybody could possibly take what we talked about about infinite love and twist it and pervert it in the face of the clear context of scripture and the balancing truths that we brought out in that message now again we have on the other side of verse 10, another stark reality that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that destroys any kind of weird hippie-like notions that people might get by misapplying and misconstruing what love is. So here we have um, this study to be quiet. All scripture, like any other scripture, this scripture must align with all other scriptures. Go to James chapter 1, and let's take a look at this concept of studying to be quiet. How can being quiet be loving to your brethren? Some of you out there know full well. Others of you think that's a total mystery, because you think every time you open your mouth, it's an expression of pure love. Anyway, Lord help us. James chapter chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the ungrafted word which is able to save your souls. So he's saying, shut your mouth, listen up, get the Bible deep in your heart, get it engrafted in your heart. Verse 22, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He says, this is the equivalent in Bible of your walk talks louder than your talk talks. He says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any 
man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, this is a really tough verse on preachers. Because preachers, primarily by the very nature of the job of being a preacher, have to use their mouth. And we're going to look at that a little bit because that has to be brought in in order to see this in its proper place in Scripture. But this holds true even of preachers. A preacher who preaches it, but then he doesn't live it, needs to shut up and go live it. And ouch! That hurts. Now, no preacher lives it perfectly. That's why it hurts. So this preacher doesn't live it perfectly. And so if you were to examine my life based on everything that I've preached, you would say, well, you don't live it either. And I would say that's true in one sense, but it's not true in the other. The only sense that I do live it in, so to speak, is that I repent by God's grace. And I find myself repenting um, daily over and over and over and over again, and I get really tired of it. I get weary of it. Did you know the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing? And there's a reason it says that I get weary of repenting. I get weary of going back to God again and saying, God, I, I just did something that I said I wasn't going to do. I just did something that you said not to do. I just did something I preached again. It gets really wearisome. It's a burden to bear. And sometimes it makes me want to just hang up the microphone and just put down the notebook and pen and just go and take this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 and make it an excuse to go and bury myself in a factory or in a forestry job or in something like that and just try and make a living and keep my mouth shut and sit on the back row and never get involved in the battle for God again. But we're going to see the balance of this makes that impossible by the time we're done looking at the scriptures here today. I hope you'll go with us through this journey through the scriptures. But if any man seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. Somebody who's all talk and no walk is vain. Somebody who just shoots their mouth off, but they won't put their put rubber on the ground. They won't put boots on the ground. Practical Christianity. They won't. They won't eat. They won't live it out even to the point of repenting and getting right when they stumble it's all a bunch of hot air his religion is vain pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world it would be better to not sin than it would be to preach a sermon it's better to not sin than to preach a sermon. That's kind of what this is saying. And boy, is that true. And boy, does that hit home. It would be better to not sin. Now you say, so that means no preacher should preach. Well, in a sense, that's true. But God commands us to preach. And then you end up with rebellion if you're not preaching. We've got to keep moving. I'm making too much application to the preacher here. We need to make it to everybody and to the preacher. James chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. You take one little match and drop it in the wrong place and you might have a forest fire and you might have um, thousands of people that have to flee from their homes and some may even die in that forest fire that came from just a little match. He says, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. That's verse six of James chapter three. Follow along. 
strong, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and is set on fire and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. He says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. He's saying, shut your mouth and live it out. He says in verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly sensual devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Chapter 4 of James, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war? in your members ye lust and have not ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain ye fight and war yet ye have not because ye ask not so he's talking about how you're battling with men for what you want instead of going to God go to verse 11 he says speak not evil one of another brethren he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law so here again James dealing with the tongue so for almost two full chapters here he's dealing with the tongue and dealing with the sins of the tongue and the attacks of the tongue and all of the shortcomings of the tongue. The psalmist said, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Go to Psalms 19. Here in verse 14, it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There's enough in the Bible about the tongue to do a whole series of studies on the words of the mouth and the tongue, what people said, how it ended badly, what people said, how it ended better. You can go to Rehoboam and that whole thing. And what a what a great tangled up mess that is. Um, most of the time, whenever people preach about Rehoboam, um, if you'll remember, they talk about how Rehoboam, the people came to him and they said to him, if you will, if you will make our burden lighter, we'll serve you. And he wasn't too thrilled with that. He, he pretty much felt entitled to the throne. He went to the old men and they said, if thou wilt answer these people softly, they'll be thy servants forever. And, but Rehoboam didn't like that. So he went to the young men. He forsook the counsel of the old men and went to the young men. And the young men told him, tell these people that my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And Rehoboam did that and split the country. So the words of Rehoboam caused 
caused a national split. But we can also see, we can see actually here, I want to show you real quickly, just to use one example from the Old Testament, how the fire of the tongue was not just belonging to Rehoboam and not just belonging to the young men. Where did the words begin? Where did the whole problem begin? When the people came to the king that God had made king and told him, we will serve you conditionally. We're only going to serve you if you meet our conditions of making our life better. And if you study it out, they had the best life of anybody that lived in the entire world at that time. They had more convenience and wealth than anybody else, a bunch of ingrates. And they talked about how uh, their burden was so great. But if you read about the levies that Solomon had put on the people of Israel, you find in the details that he only did the levies out of the people that were strangers in the land, like those that had tricked Joshua with the old wineskins and the old moldy bread and those kinds of people, the old Canaanites left in the land. So here you find that the fire of the tongue began with the people. And next you find that the fire of the tongue went on to the old men. Most people will preach about the folly of Rehoboam in rejecting the old men's counsel. And there was some folly there because they had some pretty worldly wise counsel. But the reality of the matter is that the old men were denying and defying Almighty God because God had spoken by the prophet Ahaziah and everybody knew it to be true that God was going to rend the kingdom from Solomon's son because of idolatry, because the people had turned their backs on God. And instead of those old men saying, Rehoboam, you need to fall on your face. You need to cry out to God for mercy. You need to call the nation to repentance in fasting and sackcloth because this is the judgment of Almighty God because we have forsaken His ways. And instead of repenting and instead of turning God back, Rehoboam, back to the words of God, they turned Him to the foolish wisdom of this world. Would it have worked? No, it wouldn't have worked. Why? It seems like it would have worked. It wouldn't have worked. He might have been able to secure, to secure peace for a little while, but it would not have lasted because they had offended Almighty God. And a lot of people tend to overlook that in that story for some reason that I don't, I don't really know, but we usually just jump over that. So the fire began in the words of the men that came and challenged Rehoboam. The fire of the tongue continued in the words of the old men who rejected and defied the counsel of God and tried to give Rehoboam counsel to sidestep repentance and getting back to God. And then the fire continued in the young men's counsel. My little finger will be thicker than my father's loins. And then the fire continued in Rehoboam's speech to those men. And after all that was said and done, the nation was split. So we see then that God's word was the only word worth speaking and that every single one of the people involved in that entire national national split was wrong. Every single group was speaking in defiance to God. The tongue is a little matter and boasteth of great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So this matter of the tongue could be studied for the rest of our time and for the rest of the week and probably the rest of the year and probably much longer than that. The Bible says in Proverbs, a fool uttereth all his mind. Go over there to Proverbs. That's in Proverbs 29. You go ahead and go to Proverbs 13. In Proverbs 29, it says a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it in until afterwards. Proverbs 13, 13, he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth 
openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. You say, uh, and we're, we're going to get around to this, how it applies to preachers. Proverbs 31, let's look at it real quick. You say, well, that this verse doesn't apply to preachers. Sure it does. The preacher that opens wide his lips shall have destruction too. It's just called persecution. You see, sometimes you open wide your lips and you get destruction for a good cause. Sometimes you get destruction for a bad cause. But in general, if you open your mouth, you're going to get slapped on the mouth. That's how this world works. You shoot your mouth off, you get smacked in the mouth. It's going to come. If you're a preacher of righteousness, at least you'll be persecuted for righteousness sake. But you're going to get persecuted. It comes with the territory. So just get this and get it down today. Get it down. Study to be quiet and do your own business. Listen, if you can, if you can be quiet, go to church, raise your family, work an honest job, take home your paycheck. If you can do that, read your Bible to your family, be a witness to those around you, support the pastor, take care of the missionary, pray for those that need prayer. If you can do it, do it. Not everybody is called to be a preacher. Proverbs 31 verse 8 says, Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Verse 9, Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So there's a time to open your mouth, and there's a time to shut your mouth. There's a time to be quiet, and there's a time to be loud. There's a time to cry aloud and declare in Zion her sins, and there's a time to whisper. There is a time for everything under the sun. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Amos chapter 3, one of the minor prophets, but not minor in the sight of God, just had a little less content than some of the others. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Prophecy means proclaiming God's word, saying what God says to say. And you can read the Bible for the stories of the prophets who brought destruction on themselves by saying what God said to say. So you're, you're going to suffer when you talk. It happens. The, the people with the most peaceful lives are the ones that manage to say the least. That's just the reality of life. You're not going to get away from that law. It is a law. It's how life works. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, they call him the Prince of Preachers. He was reviled in the newspapers every week. Everybody had to pick his sermons apart. They say that Charles Spurgeon would get all of the local papers every Monday morning, go in his study, and read every article about his his sermons and sit there with his head in his hands moaning and crying out to God and be depressed enough to want to die for the next three days. I don't know why he kept reading the papers. It was like his besetting sin. I don't know why he did it. But even Charles Spurgeon was getting smacked in the mouth every time he opened it. And that's the way this life works. And that's why it says here in 1 Thessalonians, study to be quiet at the start of this. If you open your mouth, be prepared for what's going to happen. And listen, I was going to say this later. I need to go ahead and say it now. This, remember the context. Thessalonians is written to a fledgling baby. Christian church. 
that Paul wants to perfect some things according to their faith. There's a difference between a baby who's desiring the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby and a soldier who's used to eating steak and potatoes for dinner and who's in the battle and has to lift loud his voice and cry. You've got to keep things in their context and keep things straight. There's a time to be quiet and let the preacher preach and just back him up quietly. And there's a time whenever you come of age and God calls you into the service to cry aloud and declare the sins of Zion openly in Zion and take what you get for it. You're going to get your comeuppance. Who remembers that guy, Mika, uh, Mika Yehu, Micah, Micah, whatever you call him there in the pronunciations are a whole nother topic. Nobody really knows, not even the Hebrew Greek scholars. They just guess. And they guess based on the guesses of other people. Call him Micariah. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Just do your best and move on. But you'll remember Jehoshaphat and Ahab were discussing going up to battle. I believe it was against Ramoth Gilead against Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And they and Jehoshaphat says, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we may inquire of him? And then Ahab says, yeah, this guy Micariah, but I hate him because he never says anything good about me. And they bring, they bring that guy in. And here comes the preacher. And on his way in, And the emissary that went to get him, the servant of the king says, listen, all the prophets are prophesying good things, smooth things, good things about you. Make sure you sound like those guys. Micaiah says, listen, I'm going to say what God tells me to say. And he gets up there. Ahab asks him the question. He says, yeah, you're going to win. Go get them, buddy. And Ahab says, Micaiah, how many times do I have to adjure you to tell me only what God said? And Micaiah said, I saw all Israel like sheep scattered on the hills of Samaria without a shepherd. And then Ahab says, see, see, Jehoshaphat, he always says bad things about me. And Micaiah cut loose and he preached a humdinger of a message. And what happened? Jehoshaphat said, no, Ahab, no, we can't go to battle. Send Micaiah with me. I will promote him to great honor. I'm going to give him a place in my nobility and farms and lands. And I'm going to make him the chief seer of the king because he had boldness. No, Jehoshaphat sold him down the river. And he says, I am as thy as thy." people. My horses is thy horses. My people is thy people. I'm going with you, buddy, buddy. And he sat there while Ahab throws Micaiah in prison and says, feed the man bread of affliction until I come again in peace. And what did Micaiah say? If I come again in peace, then the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he went to jail for preaching. I'm telling you, open your mouth. You're going to get it smacked. That's life. When you speak for God, expect persecution. But now we get to Amos. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Verse 8, the lion. (coughs) Verse 8, the lion hath roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken. Who can but prophesy? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a time to open your mouth. Go to Jeremiah, I believe, chapter 18, quickly. Jeremiah, chapter 18. (coughs) Let's look at old Jeremiah, the unwilling preacher. You see, Jeremiah's problem was he knew this. He wanted the quiet, peaceable life, and he didn't get it. God called him to be a preacher. Um, Jeremiah 18 and verse 18. 
Then said they, Come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. Jeremiah turns to God, Give heed to me, O Lord, and hearken to the voice of them that contend with me. Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have digged a pit for my soul. Remember that I stood before thee to speak good for them and to turn away thy wrath from them. You can go on and read the rest of that later. Chapter 20 and verse 7. Jeremiah gets sick of it. And it says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Every one mocketh me. For since I spake, there it is. For since I spake, I cried violence and spoil because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. Hallelujah. Got to read verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. If you open your mouth for God, you will be in the middle of the battle as fast as you start speaking. And it won't let up. Don't expect it to. If you are enlisted by God in his service, thank him, praise him, put your armor on and get ready to take some right in the mouth because that's what the devil's going to do to you. Thank God not everyone is called to be a preacher and not everyone is. This whole thing, um, fundamentalism has really um, hurt itself. Fundamentalism is a good thing. It means you believe the basic raw realities of the Bible just as it says, and you're not going to twist them or pervert them. That's the idea. That's a good thing. But where fundamentalism has gone wrong is in trying to make everybody a preacher. Not everybody's a preacher. You got to have fire in your bones to keep on preaching if you're preaching the truth. Otherwise, there's two things going to happen. Either you're going to compromise and start speaking smooth things so that you stop being destroyed by man all the while preparing your destruction from God. Because listen, you're going to get hit if you open your mouth. These preachers that are prophesying smooth things, their destruction is going to come from God. The preachers that preach God's word, they get it from the nasty world, the flesh and the devil. But these that preach smooth things, they're going to get it from God. And two things will happen if you're not a preacher and try and pretend to be a preacher. Either you're going to turn into a false prophet so that you can please men rather than God, or you're going to get smacked in the face enough times you're going to quit. And you're going to throw in the towel and say, I've had enough. And you're going to quit the ministry. By the way, that's a better option. The Bible says here, study to be quiet. That's what it says. Study to be quiet and do your own business. You patently disobeyed by preachers. You can laugh there. That text is not in general obeyed by preachers. And it cannot be as it's given. But in the context, it is given to babes in Christ. By the way, the Apostle Paul himself didn't obey his own instructions in that vein. And what did he get called? We'll look at that in just a second. We're going to get there. Um, 
this this is good stuff. I'm enjoying it if nobody else is. If you can live a quiet, peaceable, and godly life um, in all um, quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, um, just praying and raising your children, having plenty to give them that are in need, do it. It is good and acceptable in the sight of God. That's not the purpose of this verse. And this is why we're getting into all this. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. This is not telling us um, to not have preachers or preaching. This is not telling us to not have ministry work. But what this this injunction is against busybodies, troublemakers, rabble rousers, tattlers, and gossips. 1 Timothy 5.13, he's talking about widows in the context of this passage passage and he says that he would have the younger widows to marry he says um, in verse 13 and with all they learn to be idle wandering about from house to house and not only idle but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not running their mouths speaking things which they ought not oh that old phone that old cell phone such a tangled spider's web it is. Facebook, chat rooms, all this stuff. We've got all these people on here. Gossip, 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 running their mouths all day long. You're gonna bring destruction. God says study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands. What's his solution for the woman? It's going to be the tattler and the idol, the busybody speaking things they ought not. He says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. This brings us to the reality in the Bible. Pay attention. The reality in the Bible of good, better, and best. All three are in the Bible. There's a saying that good is often the enemy of best, and that is true. But good is a whole lot better than bad. And that is also true. Now, right here, those of you with the motivational gift of profit are about to pull your hair out because everything is either all the way best or all the way worst in your estimation. But just hang on there and we'll look at it. Paul said of marriage, he said, I would that all men were as I. I would that all men were as I. But he said that he speaks this of permission that you that let every man have his own wife to avoid fornication. So he says the good of marriage is better than the bad of fornication, but the best is that you be single if you can contain. If you have the spiritual fortitude and the strength to be on fire for God 24-7, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, with no distractions, serving God night and day, if you can do it, he says do it because it's better. In fact, he says it's best, but it's good to marry. Now, in our culture, marriage is the best. And they put marriage up as the highest thing. Well, Paul then goes on to tell the married people, the time hath come for they that have wives to be as though they had not. Not that you neglect your family in the biblical sense, although it will be called neglect by our modern Christianity that is a perversion and a, and a filthy twisting of Scripture, but then not that you neglect your family's needs of food and raiment, that you still provide for your own, but that God comes first and God comes before your family. And that means God's work comes before your family. By the way, God will not have you out of balance. God 
will balance you. God will tell you when it's time to have time with your family. God doesn't want you to fast to death and he doesn't want you to minister to death. God's going to balance this thing, but God's the one to balance it. Not man with all of his Christian psychology, Christian counseling, and his focus on the family that makes the family the chief end of man instead of the good and the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom, which is God's purpose. The time hath come that they that be married be as though they're not that Christ be first and foremost. So there is a good, there is a better, and there is a best. And here in 1 Thessalonians 4.11, we're getting a good that's being commanded for the best of loving one another more and more. He's saying, get in this position so that you can make the play. You know, if you play sports, if you're playing soccer and they cross the ball, It's in the middle of a heated battle. You're down to injury time and they cross the ball and you were standing at half court and you're the striker and you didn't run for the goal. Then that ball is going to bounce across the field and you will not be able to kick it in the goal no matter how good you are. You've got to be in the right spot. If you're the power forward, if you're the center in the basketball team and you're sitting at the three-point line because you want your shot at glory with the big three-pointer and you don't go down low and somebody shoots a brick and you and the ball goes up in the air and everybody jumps for it, you are not going to rebound it. You will miss the play. It doesn't matter if you're seven foot, ten inches tall and 450 pounds of sheer muscle you're not going to get the ball if you're not in the right spot and this passage here in first thessalonians 4 and 11 is telling you get in the right spot learn to shut your mouth learn to be quiet learn to do your own business so you're not a burden on everybody around you work with your own hands so you have to give and what is the purpose for it in its context he's going to tell us the purpose verbatim in the next verse we'll look at that in more detail tomorrow Um, but in the meantime if we look at the context previously the purpose of this is so that you can abound more and more in love this is not a a, an argument against ministry or against the service of God but rather a position to be in in order to launch you into further usefulness for God get in this position study to be quiet do your own business work with your own hands as we have commanded you I hope this is making sense I hope this is coming through so 1 Timothy 5, we just looked at. Now, I want to I hit this real quick here. Go to Acts 16. Paul could have been accused of not heeding his own advice here on every count. And in fact, he was. We're going to look at a couple of them. Acts um, chapter 16 and verse 20. It says that these men that had grabbed um, Paul... And Silas here in Philippi, they brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. These guys are busybodies. These guys are troublemakers. These guys are not studying to be quiet and do their own business and work with their own hands, magistrate. 
They were accusing Paul of not keeping what he was commanding the church to do here. They, and look what they said here. They teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive. Go to Acts chapter 17. There's a whole bunch more, but we're not going to stay here very long. Acts 17 verse 18. This is a really good one. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? They called him a babbler. Now here, somebody could rightly walk up to Paul, maybe, some, maybe a disciple from the Thessalonican church, um, which was just before this. Thessalonica happened at the start of chapter 17. And here you have um, Paul in Acts in Athens in, in the later part of Acts 17. And so maybe if somebody from Thessalonica was there standing next to Paul and they say, what will this babbler say? They would say, <coughs> Paul. You told us to study and to be quiet, to do our own business, work with our own hands. If you'd done that, you wouldn't be being called a babbler right now. And they'd be right. That's what I'm trying to point out here. They would be right. This is good and right. This scripture is good and right. Study to be quiet. Do your own business. Work with your own hands as we have commanded you. It's right. But sometimes there's something that's even better. And sometimes that better is taking the banner of the cross and carrying the banner of the cross. Didn't Peter say, if you suffer for your own sake, it's not worth anything? If you suffer for being a busybody, if you suffer for being nosy, if you suffer for getting in other people's business, he says, that's no good. But if you suffer for Christ, he says, then you rejoice. And this is the thing. One comes before the other. It's not that the one excludes the other, but that the one comes before the other. Until you learn to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands and give to those that are in need, you're not qualified to go on and do the next. And there will be a mixture. When that lady, when that young lady that's running around getting in everybody's business and she's a gossip goes out to share the gospel, it's mixed. It's mixed. It's mixed with the gossiping. It's mixed with the busybody. Shut up. Work hard. Give to those in need. Back up the preacher. Do your own business. When God brings you through that and gives you the power and the authority and the unction and the power from on high to be his witness, now you can go out and suffer for Christ's sake instead of suffering for your sake. And I've seen this. I've seen this so many times it's not even funny. Get a preacher out there, and he never started in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. He just started in, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long suffering. And he probably skips the long suffering too. And he jumps out on the street, and he carries a banner that says, you're all going to hell. And he runs up to a woman and says, lady, you ought to go home and put on a dress and wash dishes. What has that got to do with the gospel? Nothing. And then they start yelling at him and cursing him and defaming him and they get the police involved and then they have a whole civil action suit. Was he on city property? What part of city property? How loud was his speaker? Did he violate a city ordinance? And there's all this back and forth and he says, I'm suffering for Christ. No, you're not. You're suffering as a busybody. Because you're running around minding other people's business. Somebody else's wife, has, you're, it's none of your business whether she's wearing a skirt and washing dishes. Mind your own business. Preach the gospel. Lord, help me stay on track. D.L. Moody was had it he had he had this thing God had burned on his heart not to let a day go by without talking to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ don't just make flippant vows by the way God will hold you to a vow 
and then whenever you break it, you're in trouble with God. Don't just make flippant vows. <coughs> D.L. Moody went to bed, couldn't go to sleep, and he's laying there staring at the ceiling, tired but not able to sleep, wondering why he couldn't sleep. And suddenly he remembered he hadn't actually talked to anybody about their soul that whole day. He'd been so busy with logistics. And he laid there. It was um, rainy. It had been raining hard, I guess, and now it was still raining outside. And it was the middle of the night. It was almost midnight, and there's nobody on the streets. And he lay there saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it. I missed it. It was almost midnight, about 1130. I almost missed it, God. <clears throat> or he says, I, I missed it, God. I'll, I'll try and make up for it tomorrow. By the way, God's not interested in your penance. Don't, don't play penance games with God. Anyway, I'll try and make up for it tomorrow. God wouldn't have anything to do with it. Well, D.L. Moody, finally, he couldn't take it anymore. He jumped up, and he got dressed again, and he ran downstairs and out the door and went out on the street and looked up and down the street, empty everywhere, except there was one man standing over by a lamppost. And so D.L. Moody went over by him, and he started talking to him, and he says, Sir, says, Sir, may I, may I speak with you just a moment? And the man says, What do you want? Something to that effect. And D.L. Moody said, if you die, where will you go? And just gave him the gospel D.L. Moody style. I don't know exactly how that would come out. But he started telling him about Jesus. And the man said, mind your own business. There's that false twisting of the scripture right there. Mind your own business. D.L. Moody looked at the man and he said, sir, I'm D.L. Moody. This is my business. And it's my only business. Where are you going when you die? And the man stared at him and started talking to him and came to Christ and was born again by the power of God a few, just a short while later and then confessed to D.L. Moody that he was leaning against the lighthouse waiting on a cab to take him to the bridge so he could jump off the bridge and die and end his life. There's a time to open your mouth. There's a purpose to open your mouth for, but it's going to cost you when you open your mouth. He says here, and to work with your own hands, even as we have commanded you. Let's look at that real quick. Work is commanded all throughout the Bible. Work is biblical. Work is real. Here in, in, our, in this book that we're in, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 14, it says to warn the unruly. And the unruly there are the busybodies and the tattlers who are not working with their own hands, who are minding everybody else's business instead of doing the work, instead of just working at their tasks and what they're about. Now, um, in first, second Thessalonians, that will reinforce that in chapter three, verse seven, it talks about those who work not at all. And it even commands the brethren to withdraw from any brother that walketh disorderly. That's pretty serious. It says for yourselves, know how ye ought to follow us for we behave, behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. This is an extremely key point in verse nine. We'll cover all this in much more detail, Lord willing, as we go. But he says, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. He literally said, we didn't have to work for our own living in a job because we were working for our own living in the preaching. And that's also all through the Bible. Muzzle not the ox. Um, that's in first Corinthians nine. We're not going to get into all that. There's two 
sides to this thing. Ministry is work. Lazy ministers are worthless and it's and God hates that junk and it is wrong. You can look at first and second Timothy, all kinds of commands to be busy. Um, take heed to the ministry, he says to Archippus, that thou hast received of the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Lazy ministers are a reproach on Christ. It is a it is a, a reproach for a lazy minister, a lazy preacher, a lazy missionary who won't study the Bible, who won't preach the gospel, who limits his life down to his own little thing he's comfortable with and won't get out of his comfort zone. Um, it's sick. These guys that go and do their um, ca- um, coffee shop cafe ministries. And that's the bulk of their ministry. They sit at the sidewalk cafe and sip coffee and build relationships so that five years down the road, I can preach the gospel. Bah humbug. Lazy. Get off your tail and work. Go get a job. If you're not going to, if you call yourself a preacher and you're not going to do the work of the ministry, at least have the decency to go get a job. Anyway, moving on. Unpaid ministers is just as wrong. Ministers that are working and laboring in the gospel must be supported by the people of God. And it's just as wrong for a lazy church and lazy people to let God's ministers go uncared for in the ministry. It's just as wrong. Read 1 Corinthians 9. Now that we got that out of the way, let's move on. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3, um, here he says to withdraw. For He says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's Bible. And we're again, not preaching this from an economic revolution perspective, but it would cause one. It would bring one about. It says in verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Now, (coughs) there's balance that has to be maintained. We have amongst churches in America, we have developed um, two separate extremes of doctrine that you've probably never heard of before. I'm going to introduce you to them. We're going to wrap up with these closing thoughts and um, go our way. We have, first of all, blue collar doctrine. Blue collar doctrine maintains that calluses equal holiness and that working hard physically with your hands is what God means by labor every time, all the time. And therefore, any man that doesn't work hard and get grease and sweat and mud all over his body or cow manure or whatever it is that your local people in your blue collar churches do, whether that's furniture or whether that's building cars up in Detroit or whether that's um, whatever it is out there, whatever it is that your local people do, that if you're not working like we work, you're not a real man and you're not a man of God and you're not blah, 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 blah. Okay. It's a bunch of junk. Calluses do not equal holiness. I've known a lot of calloused, hardworking old men that were as reprobate as can possibly be. And some of them put um, your average Christian to shame. Callousness does not eat. Calluses do not equal holiness. The flip side of this is a white collar doctrine. Education equals holiness. And they'll cite verse Verses like um, study um, to show thyself approved and all these verses and talk about education. And usually these guys will have this um, education equals holiness. Also wrong. Also gag. 
Both of these are gag. The real balance is Christ's doctrine, Christ's likeness. There was, there's a time and a place for everything. Christ worked with his hands as a carpenter. But the day came when Christ dropped the plane and he dropped the ads and he dropped the line and he dropped the plummet and he picked up his hands that had worked on wood and began touching the leper and touching the blind and kneeling in the garden and laboring in prayer. Both are in the Bible. Both are right. Both have time. Both have place. Balance. Get balance or we get messed up. Second Corinthians 11, 8, Paul said, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. So all you guys out here that want to say Paul was a tent maker, don't forget the other verses. Yes, he was a tent maker. That's on my list as well. And it says in the Bible that he was of the same occupation and their abode in Acts later whenever he talks, I believe, to the Ephesian elders on his way back to Jerusalem, he said, these hands have ministered to my necessities and those that were with me. But he also said, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do you service. Both are in the Bible. And then we have 1 Timothy 4. For therefore we labor, he says. And you can look at that and tell me what labor you believe that is. By the way, to the blue collar guys um, who believe that um, you have to sweat and grease and everything else to really be working. I wonder, do you show any respect at all to the loan officer at the bank in his white shirt and tie whenever you go asking? for a new farm loan to you white collar guys out there that think education equals holiness do you show any respect at all to the people that keep your plumbing pipes working in the winter and keep your gas on in your house listen to me we can get so caught up what we do is as carnal people is we apply our own schema our own mindset our own preferences to the bible and make our ways god's ways and that's not right We've got to balance this thing and preach it right, preach it straight, preach it level. The man that pushes the pen at work and sits behind a desk and is providing for his home is considered to be working by most churches today. Sits behind the desk. He has a computer, a pen. He wears, um, he wears leather shoes. He wears slacks. He wears a button-up shirt to work. He drives a nice car. It smells clean. He doesn't stink. And he still is considered working. Isn't that amazing? But you let a preacher come in some of these churches that sits behind a computer and he works with his hands on a keyboard and he doesn't stink and he's clean and they'll, and they'll put their nose up at him. And on the flip side, you get these white-collar churches and a backwoods preacher who works with his hands comes in there without the education but with the fire of God on them and they'll send them packing down the road. Don't want anything to do with them. This is a mess. We got to drop this childishness, okay? Ministry is work, but there's two sides to it. Um, the Bible tells of Epaphras in Colossians 4.12 who labored fervently in prayer. And then in Acts, again, it tells us of the apostles. I believe it's chapter 5 where the apostles, there's a disputation between the widows um, of the Grecians and the widows of the Jews. And the apostles said, it is not for meat for us to leave the word of God to serve tables. I hear a whole lot of preaching going around the nation um, in the in what hearing I hear because I don't listen to much of it but when I do hear it I hear a whole lot about the toilet scrubber and the broom pusher and they're always saying and it's always interesting it's usually the preacher who isn't doing the toilet scrubbing or the broom pushing that's lauding and upholding that as the highest ministry 
And then he goes back to his study and his library and studies. And there's a little bit of hypocrisy running through our nation right now. And it's a stench to God when we let that hypocrisy in. The broom pusher and the toilet scrubber are needed. And you ought to be willing to do it as a minister of God. But there in the book of Acts, those apostles said, it's not meat for us to leave the word of God to serve tables. And sometimes there's a time for you to lay down your wrench and take up your Bible for the cause of Christ. Sometimes there's a time to lay down your carpenter's hammer and saw and pick up a Bible for the cause of Christ and to sacrifice your career for the cause of Christ. And there's a time for you to lay down your laptop and a time for you to lay down your dockers and your nice car and pick up a banner of the cross and go out into all the world and preach the gospel for Christ's sake and for the gospel's sake. So here our text, it says here that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you does not limit the preacher of the gospel, but rather it places the babe in Christ in position to become the preacher of the gospel. If you can live your whole life just working your job and backing up the preacher, more power to you. We need some of those folks. They'll just pray and back up a preacher. But if God calls you to be a preacher, you better be willing to lay down your anvil, blacksmith. You better be willing to lay down your ledger, accountant. You better be willing to lay down your pill bottle, you pharmacists out there, and pick up a Bible for the cause of Christ and go forward and preach knowing it's going to cost you. But in the meantime, this verse in 411 gives us the position of the believer. This puts you in the position to be a conduit for the love of God that that brotherly love would flow through you. Father, in Jesus name, I pray that you would take this and use it and bring balance to our hearts and to our minds. Help us to read the Bible with balance. Help us to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Lord, it's amazing what we as humans can be proud of, Father God. We're proud of our wealth. We're proud of our poverty. We're proud of our pride. We're proud of our humility. Lord, we're proud of absolutely everything. We're proud of our slacks and our suit coats and our ties, and we're proud of our brogans and overalls and corduroys. Help us, Lord. Help us to study, to be quiet, to do our own business, to work with our own hands as has been commanded us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that you'd also help us, Lord, that to carry the gospel, Lord, into all the world and make whatever sacrifices are necessary to do so. We thank you for this great gospel for which it is worth it, Lord, to suffer persecution. In Jesus' name, amen.